Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast, a place of conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast. I'm Lawrence Davenport. Today we're going to continue our series on the Gospel of Matthew, um, and the title of that series is Discovering Jesus in Matthew, uh, and I'm here with Dan Weatherall. And we'll be continuing our conversation about this. If you haven't heard the first episode yet, um, go back and check it out. It's on uh, biblefeed.org. Listen to uh, the first session. But Dan, maybe you can just uh, give us a bit of a precy of what the opening episode was about. Yeah. Hi, Lawrence. Um, so we, we we chatted about the, the well chapter one, didn't we? Um, first yeah. first chapter of Matthew, which is has that long list of names, um, which That's is a fascinating list of names, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah, that exciting start to the, the New <laughs> Testament. Um, which which actually, yeah, if you don't know your Old Testament, then it isn't very exciting. But if you do, then there's lots of features in that that, that stand out that are really, you know, great. So we tried to highlight a, a bit of that. Things that would, well, we tried to show the, the connection between Jesus and uh, the culture and the people group and the time and the place in which he was born. Um, so he didn't just sort of drop out of heaven, out of nowhere. He, you know, he didn't, he wasn't born in a vacuum. He was, he's a real, you know, historical person with with roots and and um you know a people group with their scriptures and that's the connection that we tried to sort of bring out mm. i suppose they were all waiting for something to happen as well weren't they so sure there was there was an underlying undercurrent of waiting for something to happen so. yeah 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 they, they were in a they're in a uh, yeah a situation that the jewish people were in a situation where they hadn't had sort of control of their own destiny for a long time um and they were ruled by whoever the dominant power in the region was for a long time and yeah they, they were looking for and waiting for some some savior to come to sort of take back control yeah and uh, what what really stood out for me in the in the first session especially that early bit where you talk about that genealogy was looking into some of the the characters that were um in that genealogy which you wouldn't necessarily expect to see yeah so we saw didn't we rahab who was a prostitute we saw tamar which was you know a, a story that you know would make your parents blush if it was any, yeah. in any other context yeah um, and then that i think you were saying that that kind of primes us and gets us ready for uh, what was just about to happen which is another unusual event in the appearance of jesus yeah yeah definitely and and to get people to to or get the the jewish um readers of the gospel because bearing in mind it you know it primarily would have been for jewish christians um to get them to to sort of think back and uh, and appreciate that God is working through these Gentile, these non-Jewish women who were of low status and the you know questionable occupation for some of them, um, and actually through that though God's purpose is being fulfilled. So um, in su- sort of surprising ways, that's I think that was kind of a, like an anti anti snobbery type thing. Like what they you know if there was some snobbery about you no know, pure Jewishness that that was being sort of dismissed right early on. Yeah, I, I think there's always that, that tendency, isn't there? It's a human sort of human tendency, um, mm. and definitely is there. It, you can sort of see that in coming through in the Gospels. Um, so, so yeah, but remembering or pointing out that in their very scriptures, they've got all these things um, that undermine that. You know, if there was any sort of nationalistic sort of pride that they they want they had, then actually they should look back at their scriptures. Um, so yeah, it's kind of undermining that, which which is great. You know, that's just that's a powerful lesson in itself, really, isn't it? For, yeah. for us to sort of, you know, not go down any kind of nationalistic snobbery line of, of thinking that that starts to sort of demean human beings, really. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's, it's not something that goes away either over time. And we, we see the same human traits even today. Sure. And well, Paul the Apostle even, even had that kind of issue as well, didn't he? So, yeah. Um, so before we get off onto too much of a tangent there, uh, Dan, <laughs> let's let's see what we're going to cover um, uh, this time. Um, you, can you just sort of outline what we're going to look at? What's the structure that you, you want to bring out for us today? Yeah, OK. So some of the things I want to talk about today are um, looking or, or appreciating that the Gospel of Matthew um, isn't just sort of haphazardly thrown together. It's not just simply a load of things that happened or a load of traditions or or kind of accounts that have been circulating that Matthew's just the author, whoever it was, has just sort of thrown these together without thinking. I want to demonstrate that there's some real sort of structure to it really mm. um, that's that's what i think we'll, yeah. we'll get out yeah i mean you think of you think of the the gospel record as almost like being a biography of jesus yeah. um you're saying it's not as simple as you know starting with his birth and just going through the episodes in his life yeah yeah so it's no it, it's not um it's very easy isn't it to pick up a piece of literature like like the gospel of matthew okay so it's about the man jesus and assume mm. that it's kind of um you know just step by step walking through things that happened and you therefore know exactly what happened to him um, but actually, you know, any kind of biography deals with things um, that are important to the point that they're making. We talked a little bit about this, actually, um, in, in an earlier episode. It was episode nine um, mm -hmm. about um, why are there four Gospels and the differences between them and things like that. And and talked about, um, you know, features of of the Gospels that show that they're sort of thematic and, and things like that. So so we're definitely not dealing with something that's video camera footage. You know, it's not. Yeah. any historical writing isn't like that at all ever it's always you know uh selecting the points that are important to the to the message that the author is, is trying to convey so in this case the author of this gospel is trying to make some claims about jesus who he was and what he did and therefore what that then means for you the reader um so all these things are are sort of brought together um now of course the man jesus behind that lived and these things happened and they might have happened in a different order and lots of other things would have happened as, as well at the, you know in his life so we've got that um a, a stylized um record of these things that the way they're woven together is teaching us something about him which i which is pretty remarkable really so that's what we need yeah. to get into. So you often think, don't you, that, that John might be the one that's a little bit more, you know, less of a biography and more of a yeah. dealing with the themes just because of the way it begins and um, and, and the, some of the things that you see, the signs and things that you see repeated in there. But you're saying that we get that actually in Matthew as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. so. Yeah. Maybe you can have a look at, you know, say you're basically saying that there's some thematic um, repetition that's that's going on in this in, yeah. in this uh, gospel record. Maybe you could uh, just tell tell us a little bit about that. Okay, let, let's start up. So we we're going to build on something from last week, so uh, last episode, whenever it was, um, which was those Gentile women in the genealogy. So right. the Gentile being the term, just to be absolutely clear about that, it's basically anyone who's an, who's not Jewish. So non non-jewish heritage moabites like ruth or canaanites or, or whatever um english <laughs> british mm. american interesting word isn't it we don't really come across the word gentile no. in day-to-day -day talk no, these days, I, do we, so. is there any other race 
got a term that is basically anything else you know any other race that is not them other than the Jew it's very yeah yeah it's I mean sometimes you have the word barbarian and that don't you within within some of the the versions as well so yeah 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 it's it's curious isn't it but so basically that's that's what it is so it's a you know non-Jewish and I suppose it, it comes about because of the Jewish people protecting their identity and their heritage and their scriptures and and in that way um and uh it was a major thing a, a big deal that christianity came um, on the scene and included gentiles non-jews so so yeah it's it's a massive massive thing anyway that's that's sort of getting ahead of ourselves um what what matthew is trying to portray i think there's one theme in matthew is that mm-hmm. um there's a close correspondence with the old testament so jesus is the fulfillment of the son of david the son of abraham you know all the things in the old testament that the jewish people would be familiar with but he's also weaving through that um all the incidents that that show that this is not just for jewish people this is for people of all nations so, so mm-hmm. for example, you've got those four women in the genealogy who are critical people in the genealogy. Yeah, they, you know, if they, you know, arguably if they weren't there and they hadn't done what they they'd done, there wouldn't be this line of G- uh, that leads forward to Jesus. Um, and then um, you get the, the next. So, chapter two. This is this is something else that happens to well, well, well known, isn't it? It's the the wise men. Um, whether or not there's three of them, whether or not there are kings, <laughs> who knows? But um, it's the the wise men of three kings fame. Um, why, why get in the way of a good nativity play? Hey, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so who, so whoever the, these people are, they're from the east. They're from they're from far away. So these are Gentile. These are non-Jewish people. They're the the magi or the the magi. So you know they're, they're effectively sort of pagan magicians. You know, which is really it's very bizarre. <laughs> this this is yeah. these people have come from so far away. They've seen a star, whatever that means. And they come to find the one who's born king of the Jews. Okay. Um, and uh, and they're the ones that come bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, myrrh to, to Jesus, the one born king of the Jews. And, uh, and in contrast to, to that, you have Herod the king, in who's you know the, the king in, <clears throat> in the land of Israel. And uh, he asks the chief priests and the scribes of the people of the Jews, um, where should the king of Israel be born? Well, you know, where is the king of the Jews? Where, where is he going to be born? Because he's not here in Jerusalem. I can't find him. Um, and they, they quote something from Micah, which said, talks about Bethlehem in, in Judah. So a small place just, you know, just down the road, effectively. Um, and, uh, and so off go the wise men, these people that have come all this way, and they go and see Jesus and they give him gifts. The people who don't go are the, is Herod, of course, who feels threatened by this, actually. And then it's the chief priests and the scribes. They've got the scriptures they, they, that tell them the king's going to be born in, in Bethlehem. And yet they don't even bother to go and have a look. Um, so there's a massive mm. contrast being drawn yeah. there um, between these, these pagan magicians and whatever they, you know, from wh- wherever they, they were. They're actually, they're the ones that recognize that Jesus is born king of the Jews, but king of all nations, effectively. It ought to be. That's the, that's where it's going to end. So, so you're saying it's making a point that those who should have known where to look, when to look, to read the signs, were yeah. essentially blind to it. But those who you wouldn't necessarily have recognized as, as um, doing that, actually coming into the country, following these signs and asking where this this um, king is going to be born. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're the ones that give gifts. And, you know, there's, there's um, passages in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah as the, as the light 
who's going to come and people will see his glory and kings. Actually, it does say kings this time. Isaiah 60, this is kings will see the brightness of, of the glory of this person. And then it lists a whole load of different people groups who will come and give gifts. And it's kind of uh, poetically describing all different nations coming and giving gifts and basically bowing down to this king, um, the Messiah. And um, it includes things like gold and, and, and frankincense and and uh, in, in that list. So it, there's, an, there's an echo there, you know, that Matthew's deliberately drawing attention to that, I think. And, you know, and this is already happening, although it's, you know, that's something that's going to come a lot later. Jesus is just young at this point, but it's kind of already, already sort of starting to happen. These, these major yeah, are coming um, from far away mm-hmm. and, and bringing these gifts. So it's, um, yeah, so, so there you go. So you've got right at the start, you've got these women in the genealogy, you've got this incident straight away. Um, after the record of the birth and um you know and throughout matthew you get things like that 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 crop up um that emphasize this point and right at the end um we'll just go right to the end of matthew because this is pretty key so matthew chapter 28 we, given the given the end of the story way now yeah great yeah. skip right to the end there uh, spoiler alert. Um, yeah. um so matthew 28 and this is verse 18 that says jesus so this is post-resurrection this is post everything that sort of happened before jesus verse 18 says to his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name in the name of the father and of the son of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i've commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the earth age so you know that's like what is it a summing up or it's the this is the consequence of everything that's happened he's now issuing his disciples out to say go and make make disciples make more disciples not just of the jewish people but of all nations so mm. you can see that sort of thread thread through so that's something we'll sort of look at i think as we go through it So you were talking about the audience of this original um, or the original audience of, of Matthew and you're saying that, you know, be Jewish, but obviously very early Gentiles would have also um, immediately been able to recognise this gospel as being for them as well. So this is like this dual yeah. um, application of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there would have been, um, I'm sure there would have been Gentiles who would have benefited from and, you know, Matthew's gospel early on. Of course, many did later on. We're reading it now. <laughs> we're we're enjoying it now. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, for sure. Um, it's um yeah in the time and place out of which it arose, it was it was almost certainly predominantly to sort of Jewish Christians and and those sort of Jewish sympathisers. Um, um, but but yeah, you're absolutely right. It immediately, more or less immediately, um, the the, the Christian community became multi-ethnic, which. Mm. Which is a you know wonderful thing. So, so, yeah. so we have that as one theme. Then we have that theme of um, the the Gentile involvement and the the story arc is that then at the end of Matthew we have the propagation of the gospel and the, and the building of disciples from all nations. Um, that's one theme. Are there any any other themes that you want to mention? Yeah. So so there's another one um, which which we can go work backwards this time. So we've just looked at the end of Matthew. Um, Jesus says at the end of what we've just read, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, you know, there's a very deliberate sort of conclusion to this. Jesus is promising to be with his followers. Um, and um, 
there's that passage right at the start so right back in chapter one i think i might have even mentioned this at the end of uh, the last episode where we 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 said we need to sort of unpack what this means um matthew chapter one says that when jesus was born um all this took place to fulfill what the lord had spoken by the prophet behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, mm. so there's this theme of starting off that this is God with us. So there's something happening there. And then right at the end, Jesus says, I'm with you once, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Um, yeah. But there's, there's, there's a deliberate, I mean, whether or not it's, that's a theme running through the book, but a deliberate sort of bookend that's, that's sort of happening there, isn't it? Right at the start and then right at the end. Um, I think there's, you know, something in that. Yeah. So well, the question is, what does that phrase actually mean? God, God with us. So Emmanuel, and then that one right at the end, uh, I am with you always. Is that um, like Jesus as God being with us all the time, wherever we go? What, what does, what does that mean? Yeah, how, yeah. how would you interpret that? So we've, we've got to, um, that you you probably come at that we anyone could come at phrases like that with an awful lot of baggage i suppose mm. um so it's, it's got to we've got to try and um read this and hear it like that first century christian so we've we've been trying to consistently think about the connections back to the jewish scriptures because that's how this clearly how this has been written um and how people would have understood and read it so so let's try and do that. Um, what would it mean to a Jewish Christian, um, or indeed a Gentile Christian who was learning and knowing the Old Testament early on? What would it mean to them to that Jesus is being referred to as God with us? In, you know that that name Emmanuel. Well, it's as Matthew says, it's it's from uh, a prophet, so it's from Isaiah chapter chapter seven, um, and uh, that prophecy is an interesting one. It's um, in the time of King Ahaz, who is a pretty pretty bad king and uh, he he basically doesn't want a sign so isaiah chapter 7 um is that passage um and it's it talks in verse 10 verse 11 the lord said to ahaz ask a sign of the lord your god let it be deep as sheol or high as heaven but ahaz says i will not ask i will not put the lord to the test and he said here then o house of david is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my god also Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there's this passage. That's the quote, is it? Back in Matthew. That's That's the quote. And then it carries on to say, basically, before this boy grows up um, enough to choose good and, you know, not choose the evil, then the two kings who you're worrying about, there's two kings who are basically enemies of Ahaz, well, they're going to be um removed so you won't you don't have to worry about them um so so what so the sign here is that there's a sign that god is with them um, effectively that god is with the people and will work for them um and so this is you know the name given to that that person that child um doesn't mean that he is god um emmanuel in, in isaiah is not god sort of incarnate or anything like that he's he's a you know a child that's got a name which is symbolic and symbolic of the fact that God is working with them and he's going to you know, get rid of their enemies, basically, in this passage. And the, the, the thing is that Ahaz, uh, the king, just doesn't want that sign. You know, he, he, does, he, almost, he doesn't care about the royal family. He doesn't care about the house yeah. of David. He doesn't care. He doesn't seem to want God in his life at all. And yet this is God is with you, you know, whether you like it or not, God is, is with you. Um, so that's, what, that's, what I, that's the basis. That's of the original quote from Isaiah. Um, and, and the Old Testament's full of, you know, different places where it talks about um, God being with the people. Um, you know, prophet, Old Testament prophets sort of talk about 
um, you know, go ahead, you'll, you'll win this battle or we will win this battle because God is with us and God isn't with you and you know, that sort of thing. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a claim that, that, um, that basically they've got the, the help of God on their side. Um, not that anyone is actually God walking around in the middle of them. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's quite a, it's quite a common idea in the Old Testament to have God with them. Mm. Uh, God is sort of working with them. Um, so, so, so in the context then of, of Jesus saying that, how would we then sort of cast that idea forward into the things that Jesus was saying? Yeah, all the, all the things that are said about Jesus, first yeah. of all. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so move that forward then. So um, the, the people of Israel are in this sort of situation where they are asking the question, are they, is God with them? Is God still with them? They're in this land, but they don't have control over it. They don't have their king installed. They pay taxes to the Romans. They've got, you know, all these things th- that are substandard, that are not not good for them. Um, they've been in exile in Babylon hundreds of years ago. And ever since then, it's never been that great. There's been a revolt where they thought they'd gained back the kingdom, but, it, you know, it all went horribly wrong. Is God with us? You know, shrug your shoulders. Doesn't really look like it. Um, maybe. Um, maybe God has rejected us, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe a lot of them wanted to be a bit like, has and just sort of point blank refuse um refuse any sort of sign that god is with them um i think that that actually crops up in the gospel of matthew later on the disciples they kind of uh, sorry the the pharisees they they kind of ask for a sign come on prove prove us um that you're you you are who you say you are jesus um and they uh you know they're kind of taunting him almost really but actually they don't really want that sign they don't mm. you know they've been a bit, a bit like ahaz um so, so Jesus, uh, the claim here, then Matthew, is that Jesus is given this name, Emmanuel, um, because there's this new thing that's happened. This virgin has conceived and bore a son, Mary, um, and uh, and because of that, this is this is proof. This is symbol. This is a symbol of the fact that God is with us. God, it, whatever you may have thought of all the things that have been happening to the nation, God is with us and he's going to work out these things. And it's through this person, this man, that um, these things are going to happen. It doesn't, doesn't make Jesus or it doesn't, it doesn't confirm or deny whether or not Jesus is God or God incarnate or anything like that. It certainly doesn't teach it. There's nothing inherent in that, that phrase to, to say that Jesus is, is therefore, you know, God embodied in the flesh. Um, it's yeah. I suppose up to that point, they've had like 400 years of, of almost nothing, you know, no open vision, sort of the, the um, not having that sort of express um, purpose of God and prophets coming and speaking about these things. So, you know, having somebody confirm that to them would be really encouraging, wouldn't it? Sort of at yeah. this point when they're in the in this dire situation with the Romans around them, somebody saying God is with you mm. um, is, would be very encouraging to them. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, yeah, it's what, what, what people needed. And, you know, when you read the gospel, it's, it's what many people um, welcomed and embraced, you know, particularly the, the poor and the outcasts and the needy, mm. um, those who were a bit more comfortable in their life, who were either sort of taking the, what they could from out of the situation, working for the Romans, or indeed those who were trying to sort of fight back against the Romans, like the Pharisees. They were trying to sort of, um, you know, live their own lives of, of sort of perfectness. Um, yeah. And, you know, the rulers, as is often the case, the ruling class, the higher sort of status people um they're often more comfortable and um and don't want status quo being disrupted um, but those who are in need 
recognize that there's a great need and yeah hearing that god is with them is something that they they welcomed so it's a comfort a little bit maybe like when david was being chased around by by saul and he you know he sings those psalms or those psalms are, are sung about those situations and god is his comfort his tower his fortress there's a similar idea there i suppose sure yeah yeah and the psalms are full of you know god is is, is with us or you you god is near and you know things like that so yeah you can my read strong salvation yeah, yeah. Yeah, my rock and yeah, all, all these things that, that God is this sort of, um, you know, presence that is with us and will will succeed. We'll get through this. This is a terrible time, but God is with us. And yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, the more you think about it, the more you you see throughout the Old Testament, this is, this is it. This is what it's all about. It's about whether God's God's with us or not. Yeah. Um, and so Matthew's picking up on that and saying, um, well, this is this happened. These things happened. These circumstances with Mary happened. She gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. And uh, and all this happened um, because it demonstrates that that God is with us, mm. and that's be- you know, and because Jesus has come, and what Jesus went on to to do and and teach, and ultimately what happened in his in his death and resurrection. There you go. I've given the game away completely now, haven't I? You absolutely ruined the end of this yeah. whole, whole story. Yeah. Uh, so I'll stop you there, Dan, before you ruin everything. Uh, we've got, got a couple of themes there, um, so that's yeah. great. And I'm sure you'll expand on those in, in future episodes. Um, but maybe are there anything else? Anything else that we need to consider? Maybe within the text structure that yeah. that you want to highlight? Yeah. So as we go through it, we're gonna we're gonna notice something, and it's worth just pointing it out now, um, as in the, the structure of, of the book. Um, and it, and it's that um, there are five key points in the Gospel of Matthew where there are sayings of Jesus that have all been sort of collated together. So there's five big discourses, effectively. So collections right. of Jesus' sayings. So this is what I've said before about Matthew has has ordered these things. They probably come from different points in Jesus' life and, and his, his teaching at different times, and they've sort of been pull, pulled together. That's that's fine. That Whether, you know, maybe, maybe he said these things all in one go. It, do, it doesn't really matter. Um, but when you compare them with the other Gospels, these things have been bunched together in Matthew. So you get um, the chapters five, six and seven, which is that first big section of say- sayings when we often call that. You might have heard of it, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, yeah. so, so a lot of things, a lot of Jesus teaching at the um, uh, when he was on a mountaintop and he said lots of these things. Um, then in um, let me just go to the end of that. So. Matthew chapter um, seven, just because there's a key phrase that this is how you identify these sections. So Matthew mm-hmm. seven um, and verse 28, after these three chapters of sayings, uh, verse 28 says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay. So you get that um, mm. when Jesus had finished these sayings kind of thing. Um, and then in chapter 10, there's another collection of, of sayings that are all about um, sending his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom and um, and what was what's going to happen. What's the reaction going to be? And are the people going to just love it and receive it or are they going to be sort of divided and, you know, not necessarily accept it? And anyway, at the end of that, so chapter 11, verse one, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Okay, so there's another sort of ending, which is very similar to what we've just seen. 
Um, and then there's a collection of Jesus' parables in chapter 13. And at the end of that, verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. And there's an, you know, the, the narrative then resumes again. Um, uh, just um, for completeness, um, chapter 18 is, an, is a collection of Jesus' sayings um, to his disciples when they, they're asking um, who's the greatest? Um, you know, just that kind of humble sort of thing yeah. that, that you ask. Um, you know, who's who's the best out of all of us? Um, shouldn't smirk because it's it's so easy, isn't it? That's it's human, humanity all over. Um, and Jesus teaches them a lot uh, in the in those um, in that chapter, chapter eighteen. Then verse nine, uh, verse one of chapter nineteen. When Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee. So there you go. There's another flag. Um, and then the final one is another long one. So chapters twenty three, four, and five, which are all about kind of what's going to happen now. You know, this is building up to the death of Jesus. There's you know uh, judgment on the scribes and Pharisees, judgments on the the temple and things that are going to happen, and then parables about the future, effectively. And then in chapter twenty six. Uh, verse one, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, uh, uh, after two mm. days, the Passover is coming and I'm going to be killed. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can see just by quickly whipping through that, there's um, uh, structure, there's order, there's five collections of sayings in Matthew, um, mm. which is really, uh, which tells me that we've got to read it with that eyes open to that. So we've got to work out what, what the point of that is. Are you going to talk about that now? <laughs> well, well yeah, I, I think... <clears throat> There's, there's, there's a lot to it, but yeah, a little bit. Um, let's, um, uh, so if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount and chapter seven, where it ends and it talks about, um, uh, verse 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Um, so it's, um, it's it, the whole, um, message of the way Jesus was teaching is about how that he has the authority. Um, he's sort of teaching with authority. Remember, we had that word um, right at the end. So Matthew 28 says, um, all authority, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So there's this kind mm. of, here's, it's another theme effectively. And then what happens, so there's a whole collection of sayings. People recognize he's teaching as if he's got authority. You know, who is this man? Why is he te mm. teaching us like this? And then the collection, uh, then verse Chapter eight, there is a whole load of things that now happen to these are now events, not just sayings of Jesus. And if you sort of skim through them, you realize that they've been pulled together um, because they're teaching um, how that Jesus does have authority. So the first thing that happens is a leper. So someone with a terrible skin disease comes up to Jesus and says, I'd really like to be healed, please. And Jesus says, yep. Um, uh, touched him and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and then jesus says well don't go and tell anyone about this other than go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that moses commanded for a proof to them so there's this whole thing in the in the lord where if a, someone with a terrible skin disease was healed then they ought to sort of go and show it to a priest to prove that they're clean now and great off we go um and Jesus is basically saying, look, you go and show them and prove to them that mm. this healing has happened. You know, this is proving, oh, he, he's done this. This is a healing. That, you mm. know, it's, it's demonstrating that he, he's able to, to do this. Is um, that, um, that kind of the end of, of the, the Sermon on the Mount chapter, end of chapter seven, when it talks about him having authority, but the scribes not having authority. Is that, that and then then situations like sending this proof to the priests? Is that is that essentially saying that these people, these scribes and Pharisees, maybe should have had more authority, should have been able to identify um, Christ in this in the Old Testament scriptures? And is that is that what that's saying, or is it more yeah. about that Jesus actually has um, 
something special that they didn't have. Yeah, well, I, I think it probably is that, isn't it? The last one, um, other than the fact, it, it certainly is contrasting. Um, mm. the, 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 the leaders of that generation, the scribes, the Pharisees and the chief priests, it's contrasting them with, with Jesus. Um, Matthew, Matthew's painting the leaders of that generation, the Jewish leaders, in a pretty poor light. So as you go through, it's really, yeah. you know, all the things that Jesus said about them in a bad way, they're all here in, you know, far more concentration than some of the other Gospels. Um, it's even even to the point that um, some people have felt that Matthew's Gospel is a little bit anti-Semitic. You know, it's a bit of sort of anti-Jewish. And, and um, I, I don't think. I don't think that's right um, because you've got to read it carefully, and um, it's a, it's always against the people in in positions of authority or so-called authority. It's against the Jewish rulers and leaders, the mm. ones who are effectively not looking after the poor and the needy, and mm. that kind of thing. So it's never it's not against Jewish the Jewish race, and and, of and, and that to a certain extent is not a new message either. I mean, you get the same type of message in Ezekiel about yep. um, the leaders not doing their job. I think is it in Matthew where it talks about them basically not uh, keeping the keys of the kingdom and, yeah. and, and not and not releasing them. And that, and that is then put against, you know, Peter and the disciples and them having the keys of the kingdom, the gospel message to go and propagate. Yeah. So it's this like these gr- group of people who are holding this to their chest and not investigating it fully and opening it to people. And this other group of people who are opening it up to everyone. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So it is in Matthew that, and and it's um, um that's a ma- another sort of major theme, or I suppose it's building on the things we've already thought about. Um, really, it, it also talks about um, uh, the the nation, uh, the kingdom will be taken from you. Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to a nation who will bear fruit. So there's this whole kind of you've not done this right, and this is how it should be, and this is um, a gospel for all nations, for the the poor people in our Jewish society, and for you know, and for anyone else who comes and recognises that I have authority. That's what Jesus is effectively teaching and preaching. And uh, he has authority because he's, he's um, God is with him um, and God is performing these signs with him. Um, that's, that's how, yeah. you know, this, this is it. Um, late, late, so that's, you know, Matthew 8, that's the first thing that happens. This is a proof of Jesus' authority because he can heal this leprous person. And then the next thing that happens is a Roman centurion of all people who recognizes that Jesus is a man who ha- who's like him. And he says, I'm a man, I'm under authority, and I've also got people under me. So, um, you know, I'd speak to whoever he speaks to, what, what, what sort of Roman the rank, yeah. the rank, I don't know, what's over a centurion. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, there's the emperor, isn't there? Whoever he is. You're putting me on the spot there, Dan. On my uh, Roman Roman military uh, uh, structures. So whoever looes after centurions um, is is the one that has authority over him. But then a centurion has a a lot of servants and soldiers at his disposal. Um, And so he says to those to those people go and they go and 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 come and they come. That's basically what he says. And so the centurion says, I know, Jesus, that you're like that as well which basically displays that he knows that Jesus is someone under authority. So God, God is with him um, and giving him this sort of authority and power. And also he has the authority to say, let this servant be healed. Let this person be healed. And he says it and the centurion servant is healed. So again, it's proving that Jesus has the authority and it's the centurion who recognizes it. Again, not the, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not the chief priests, it's not the scribes, it's not the Pharisees, it's the Roman occupying force, it's the military, (laughs) the people who recognize it, which which is pretty remarkable.
mm. you know and then it, it, it carries on there's just a couple of other examples there's jesus rebuking the the storm and the wind and the waves and the the, the disciples say what sort of person is this that even the wind and the sea obey him you know so he's got authority over the powers of nature and mm. and then the um it, going into chapter nine there's this thing about um, the paralytic man who wants to be healed. And Jesus, first of all, says, your sins are forgiven. And uh, the um, the people around in the room are sort of horrified. Who's, who's, who's he think he is saying that um, your sins can be forgiven? You know, um, what does he, why does he have the authority to say that? And Jesus says, well, OK, just to prove that I've got authority to say that to say forgive to forgive sins um he turns to the paralytic and says rise up take up your bed and walk and so he heals him so again he's demonstrating that yes he does have authority so all these teachings that he's given um he's given them with commanding authority and uh, and then matthew then groups all these little events together um these little miracles healings all these different things and it, that's demonstrating that yeah he proved that he had authority yeah which then and, it, and he makes it clear about where the authority comes from as well doesn't it because it's not authority of his own sort of volition yeah. it's it's the authority yeah. given to him by god yeah and it reminds me a little bit of um i remember when moses and aaron had to go into egypt and they were given yeah. things to say weren't they to pharaoh it's in a similar way um, um jesus had this authority not of his own purpose not of his own volition but from god yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's um it's a good it's a really good portrait i mean there's 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 a lot, um, you just mentioned Moses there, there's a lot in um, Matthew that sort of is portraying Jesus like Moses as well, which, um, you know, another Old Testament figure. That's another theme. <laughs> it's another theme. Yeah. So there's, you know, as you unravel it, the more you look at it, the more that there is going on. And it's, you know, if, I sort of sometimes think about this because you, you can sort of look at something like the book of Matthew and and look at all these different themes and hear echoes back to other parts of the Bible and, and things like that. And sometimes I think, you know, oh, what, what's the what's the point? What's the purpose of that? Um, but it's it's the, the point of it is it's getting you to understand and meet this person Jesus more, isn't it? Because mm. because w- once you once you hear all those echoes and you hear all those claims that have been made, you you can then see that oh okay, so he's he's like Moses, but he's better than Moses because of this. Oh okay, he's um, uh, you know, he's got authority. David, there's the link with David there's, as well. Things of David we've talked about. Um, and then, you know, the the passage in Isaiah. Um, he's he is that symbol. He's that. Um, he's the proof that God is with us, that with His people. Um, and so let's let's think about that and what that means. And then ultimately, um, you know, when you get right to the end, he's he says that he is with you. So you know, the the same sort of power that is with the people in the way that Jesus taught and and preached and and gave his life and then was was raised from the dead you know that that's something that can be with us to then you know keep keep us um keep us going um that's mm. you know that's that's beyond yeah. matthew but that's uh yeah there's they they help us understand him better you know we're about discovering jesus um so yeah, yeah. paying attention to all these structural things in the book they really help us to understand him better than just simply sort of just reading and you know and thinking that was a nice thing that he said that kind of thing wonderful good stuff right i'm just mindful that we don't want to eat all the material that we're going to use in other episodes so uh, maybe you can give us a bit of a um a trailer into what's happening in the next episode what we're going to look at next yeah so what we what i think we need to do next we we've um we've thought uh right we've thought about the start so the origins the family tree the connection back to the old testament we've thought um about a lot of conceptual ideas this episode we've thought about structure and themes and things like that what we need to do is just wind back a little bit 
and spend a bit of time parked in chapter four of Matthew. So that's there's a passage there that talks about Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So there's I think it's really you know it's, it's, it's going to get heavy. It's gonna yeah, get yeah, heavy. it's a great it's a great, it's a great narrative. Um, and you you read it and you you could scratch your head and think what's going on there? You know, it's really um, it's meaty. It's it's brilliant. Um, it's a fascinating narrative. Again, um, lots of things. You can come at it maybe with a lot of assumptions. Um, I'm going to try and not have those assumptions or any assumptions, and we'll just um, we'll tackle it uh, at face value and what in in the context of what Matthew's already said. Um, so yeah, Jesus and the devil next next Excellent. time. It should be called approaching Matthew with no assumptions. That should be the name of the series. Okay, we could rename it. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go that far. Um, okay, well, thank you, Dan, for. Um, what you've just taken us through it's been really interesting once again fascinating um study into this important uh, gospel record i'm sure we've all come away with some additional thoughts and uh and musings on that topic um so yeah thank you for listening and um please go to our website uh, biblefeed.org also you can follow us on uh, facebook as well please join the conversation as well get in touch uh, send us um, messages on, on the website or on Facebook. Uh, leave a review um, as well. We're always interested in feedback um, and discussion on the interesting things that we've been talking about. So thank you very much, Dan. And uh, until next time. Yeah. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think and hear your questions on subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send us a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Mm-hmm.